Welcome to Flirting with Bitcoin. I'm your host, Mandana Yousefi, and this is my boo, Ian Reese. Hey, Ian. Hey, babe. How's it going? It's going good. How do you feel about where I am in my Bitcoin journey? You're at a good spot where you can have informative conversations with people, which is a desirable state. You're not intimidated to talk about it. You're doing this podcast, right? (laughs) I was going to say I'm not. (laughs) And um, I feel intimidated. (laughs) You're interacting with people on social media about Bitcoin. Fake it to make it, baby. That's how I live my life. But you're not but you're not faking it. And the beauty of Bitcoin, you know, you're gonna hear me say this a lot, but the beauty of Bitcoin, it is a set of truths. New Bitcoin is created every 10 minutes. That is a truth. That's never gonna change. It's not subject to change. Every four years, the amount of that Bitcoin gets cut in half. That is another truth. There's only gonna be 21 million of me. And it makes so, me want you even more. <laughs> when you have this set of objectionable truths, it gives people one foot grounded in reality. I made this analogy the other day where it's like before Bitcoin, we were all drunk and we <laughs> passed out in the bed. And you know, when you get the spins, you gotta put one foot on the floor to like help the, the room stop spinning. Bitcoin is putting that foot on the floor. So right now there's a lot of people out there that are still drunk and they haven't even gotten the spins yet. You and me over the past like five years, we've come out of that. We have one foot on the floor. Eventually you sober up. Bitcoin, the beauty- That's of- a really great analogy and it kind of does feel like I'm sobering up. Yeah. I think that I think that's part of what a lot of us have to go through learning about Bitcoin is acknowledging that we were very dismissive of it for a very long time. And I think owning that and recognizing that is really <laughs> it's really important because there are so many things that have been taught to us that aren't true. A decent amount. Yeah, or we know we don't know the full story and with Bitcoin you know the full story. But it's an active experience. So it's something that you have to consciously decide to do. Um, But sobering is a great word for it. And you know, not to get too deep about it, but I think there are a lot of us who are punishing ourselves because we haven't gotten into it yet, Mm -hmm. that we're not going to let ourselves get into it. That's the complete wrong way to approach this though. Absolutely. It's like, just, you know, say, okay, it's time for me to learn it. Let's do it. One of the other things Bitcoin teaches you is humility. Like you have to humble yourself and say, I don't know how things work. And maybe there's something I'm missing. And maybe I need to turn off Netflix for a couple nights and just read a book. And eventually, I believe everyone will have to do that. Or at least enough people will do that where everyone else is just dragged along with it. But I think right now, there's a lot of people who have built their lives up in a way that they were told they were supposed to do, and they've done it very successfully. And now they're basically being told by the Bitcoiners that that's all going to come crashing down unless you do it differently. And I don't blame anyone for just face value rejecting that. But it's a very uncomfortable reality. And if you are dealing with a lot of other things, like a pandemic, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you just don't care. And again, I go back to the psychological spiritual aspect of like you're you're actively punishing yourself in those moments where you're saying even if I'm slightly curious about this or even if I'm getting more and more curious even if I'm at the point of frustration that I don't understand this uh, I'm not gonna figure it out yeah and so like I think the title of this podcast flirting with bitcoin great name babe right (laughs) 
Like it's a great description because it's it's like dating. You go out and you interact with a bunch of people, and, and you invest a lot in dating, right? You some more than others, but some yeah, some more than others. Everyone's paying for food. Everyone's paying for drinks, Ubers, whatever. It costs a lot to date, but you give it a shot because it might be amazing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's how everyone should be approaching Bitcoin right now. Bitcoin is like this weird IQ test. People who think that they're intelligent and think they know how things work, Bitcoin presents them with a very easy quiz. Yes or no questions or true or false questions. Is this system more stable than the current system? If you say no, you get sorted to the left. (laughs) You come into this Bitcoin world. Once you humble yourself and you say yes and you start going down this path, you will start to learn things that you probably always questioned, but you just kind of went along with because everyone else was going along with it. Yes. And that's the sobering up part. And that's the sobering up part. There are a lot of things that have been happening recently that make Bitcoin very real. There are headlines in the news, like things like El Salvador has adopted Bitcoin as the national currency, that no matter what tells me that Bitcoin is here and it's a real thing today. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of other people are seeing headlines like that. And that's probably why there was so much interest in our podcast. I think that's why we were so surprised. There are a lot of people who are ready to push through whatever that humility is and get on board. Humans are pattern recognition machines. Right now, Bitcoin is above $40,000. And probably the last time that people paid attention to it, it was at $20,000. Even though it went from 20 to 3 to 69 and now it's at 40, they still remember when all the hoopla was at 20. (laughs) A rational person goes, wait, I thought they told me this thing was like worth nothing and it's worth twice as much as fake internet money. And it's worth twice (laughs) as much as the last time I like poked my head out of the sand. I don't think it's more than that. I just think that people are like, wait, I thought this was worth nothing and it's worth twice as much as the last time. Are you lying to me? Yeah. Exactly. So so the fact that there's this like pre-programmed in appreciation, the amount might vary, but the appreciation is kind of programmed in. On a long enough timeline, everyone's going to have that moment of clarity where they're like, wait, I remember when this was, doesn't matter what the number is, it'll be higher. And they'll be like, why? I thought this was nothing. Oh, it's a million dollars of Bitcoin now? Oh, I guess I'm too late. And then four years later, it's $2 million of Bitcoin? (laughs) I should have bought it when it was a million, right? Yeah. That's happening to everyone. Everyone has that moment. I wish I had bought more when it crashed to 3,000. I wish I had bought more when it was $10 and I was like, this is a scam. And here we are, right? Like everyone has, they wish they bought. Has The Bitcoiners have this phrase where you get Bitcoin at the price you deserve. <laughs> Damn, that's, that's, oh, that hurts. Right, but, <laughs> right, you got people paying a quarter of a million dollars for degrees. Jeez. When Bitcoin hits a quarter of a million dollar, you're telling me my, my degree is worth one Bitcoin? Mm-hmm. I remember when one Bitcoin was a dollar. It's like, well, maybe your degree was worth a dollar. That's what it's doing. All the things that we've put money into, people are remeasuring against this new thing. That's really powerful. Whether you're putting your foot on the ground or everyone eventually puts their foot on the ground and then you're the weirdo that's still stumbling (laughs) around drunk, right? There's going to be those people that don't know when the party's over, but 
the more people that sober up because of Bitcoin, the more obvious those drunk people will be. What were some of the major moments of sobriety within this Bitcoin movement? Like what was happening when all of a sudden there was like a surge in Bitcoiners? So usually, I mean, if you just want to talk about like new people coming to the space, the way that that gets measured is by the number of unique addresses on the Bitcoin blockchain. So when Satoshi Nakamoto first created this, there was only one address. Mm -hmm. And then he had to convince someone else to make a wallet, like to make an address so he could send them Bitcoin, right? Mm -hmm. Now there's two addresses. Wow. And so the number of addresses in the data database that is the Bitcoin blockchain, the number of addresses grows. So we take, we use that as a proxy for the number of people on the, on the network. When you match that up to like price movement, new people tend to come in spikes in the price. So when it ran up to $20,000 a couple years ago, four years ago, a lot of people came into the space and then it immediately crashed to 3000. Well, they came in as all of the, if you want to say momentum was gone. FOMOing, right? Like fear of missing out. It's not necessarily Bitcoin term. It's a it's an everyday term. Everyone knows yeah, FOMO. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but so you get these people that come in at these 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 price spikes and they're FOMOing, but they're buying the like last gas. They're buying like the vapors of that climb from a thousand dollars to twenty. And it was much cheaper back then. So it's always going to be much cheaper back then. It'll appreciate at a certain rate naturally, but when certain events happen in the world, it makes more people pay attention, more people get it. You see more people come into the space, they want to buy, there's a finite amount of supply. And like when, you know, someone really wealthy buys a bunch of Bitcoin. Yeah. So this year it was Elon Musk, not necessarily him, but Tesla, but he directed Tesla to buy Bitcoin. So they bought, I want to say $1.5 billion dollars worth of Bitcoin, right? Like Tesla has a checking account. <laughs> $1.5 billion. Billion with a B. But Elon gave some interviews where he basically said, Tesla has a bunch of cash sitting overseas in the European banking system. And right now in the European banking system, it's basically negative interest rates. You're losing money, explicitly losing money if you're holding it a bank account. So would I keep holding it in a bank account that's going to explicitly lose money or take a gamble on this other thing that programmatically says, well, at least you won't lose money. So I forget the price point, but I want to say they bought $1.5 billion of Bitcoin for like, it was like twenty-five dollars to $35,000 of Bitcoin. That sets the new floor for... Look at you, which are setting the floor. Oh yeah. You... Ian taught me about stocks. So... <laughs> I know things. So yeah, so when Tesla things. when Tesla bought $1.5 billion worth of Bitcoin at a certain price, you can assume two things. Number one, they're not going to sell that Bitcoin if they don't have to. And if they do have to, they're not going to sell it for less than they paid for it unless, you know, they're in like super dire straits. Because they acquired so much of it, you end up you end up with this large chunk of Bitcoin that was acquired at yeah. that price. When Tesla did that, it basically went from, let's just say 20000 to $69,000 in five months. Wow. So this will stabilize again. It will. It already has because yeah. here we are sitting at 40. 40, got it. Right? Okay. Tesla buys. They suck up a bunch of supply. That's going to cause the price to appreciate a little bit. Then people see the news. <laughs> they come and pay attention. A couple more people figure it out. They want to buy, pushes the price up a little bit more. And then you got your third group, which is people see the price going up. That creates more news stories about the price going up. They come in and buy. Well, as the price was going up, China outlaws Bitcoin mining. 
Oh, yeah. So Elon Musk bought Bitcoin for $1.5 billion in the same year that China outlawed Bitcoin. There's a school of thought that people think that if China hadn't done that, 69 would have just kept going. What do you mean 69? Like we went from 20,000 to 69,000. Oh, wow. The China ban pulled the price back down, down, right? Would you say that these types of human interventions in Bitcoin are just speeding up or slowing down the inevitable growth of Bitcoin? Well, I think what China did backfired on not only them, but the world. China bans Bitcoin mining. At the time, China was like the number one Bitcoining mining country in the world. And I think we talked about this in the last episode, the hash rate, the amount of energy that the Bitcoin network was using every 10 minutes got cut like in half. Was China's expectation that they were going to demolish Bitcoin by banning it? I wasn't in the room. (laughs) I don't know what the plan was, but what they ended up doing was exposing the extreme resiliency of the Bitcoin network. This network lost 50% of its power input and nothing changed. Damn. Every 10 minutes, new blocks were created, transactions kept going through. Unbothered. Unbothered, unfazed. And everyone in the world saw it happen. It's not a thing you can lie about. You can't propaganda that That way. Being unbothered is like a very elegant. I mean, I know nothing about being unbothered, but I've seen it in other people. Another elegant element to the design. One of the things the Bitcoin network does to make sure that blocks are produced every 10 minutes, depending on the number of miners that are on the network, there's this variable called the difficulty. A lot of people on the network, the difficulty gets turned up. But in the case of what China did, when the number of people in the network gets cut in half, the difficulty drops. And so that period of time, oh, in that period of time, prosperous. not only was it prosperous, but it was more profitable because people were able to make more guesses for the same amount of energy. Wow. Right. So Bitcoin, the amount like I'm going to scale along with the amount of energy that's being put into this system. That's just an elegant side effect when you build a system that operates the way that Bitcoin does. The difficulty is just to incentivize people to come be miners when the number of miners goes down. But the secondary part of the energy aspect is just chef's kiss. Wow. Yeah. Wow, indeed. (laughs) As I learned those little gotcha moments or those little epiphanies, every single time you learn one of those, you build a little more conviction in the Bitcoin protocol. And every time you build a little more conviction, when someone tries to tell you that it's bad, the amount of conviction that you have, at a certain point, you'd be like, well, I don't even care if that's true. And that's where people are with the energy argument. We know so much about it that it's like, yeah, it does use a lot of energy and that's a good thing. And I don't care about that concern of yours. Whereas in the beginning, the design was we wanted it to be able to run on everyone's computer. We wanted it to be Mm, this distributed thing. I see. The original intention has already been disrupted. Technically, yes. You can't run it on a laptop anymore. But now you have like this new market, which is like these custom machines. Eventually, with enough competition of everyone trying to produce the cheapest, most efficient machine that mines Bitcoin, it's just going to pull the price of those down back to the cost of what a laptop is today. Except all the innovation that needs to happen along the way, our laptops are going to be like supercomputers. Wow. The virtuous cycle of everything about Bitcoin. You need efficient processors. You need cheap energy. You get more Bitcoin. You get more Bitcoin. You invest in better processors you invest in cheaper energy right yeah it's it's a virtuous cycle and nothing else works like that on the planet right now only thing that consistent is the sun and the 
Okay, so you get it. I sort of get it. How do we get the attention of people who are in charge of anything to be able to understand this stuff so that we as a country can benefit from it? I think that there's a greater than zero chance that we do not have the right people in place to get it fast enough to where a place like El Salvador of like 6 million people, they have a better monetary network than we do right now. And they got it for free because Bitcoin is free. We won't even have that honest conversation. This is actually one of my main concerns for Bitcoin as a whole. It's an IQ test on an individual level, but it's also an IQ test on like how smart is your leadership. And right now, some of the smartest leadership in the world is coming out of countries that we have been told are backwards and don't go there. And that's just odd and obvious. And once you learn Bitcoin and then go look at the countries that are actually interested in doing things in Bitcoin, it doesn't add up, but it does. Yeah, it 100% checks out. Just this week, Argentina, one of the countries with the worst inflation in the history of the planet, they're now adopting Bitcoin. It's coming. There's nothing you can do to stop it. If a country wants to say Bitcoin is legal tender and you have the leadership in place to get that those laws passed, game over. Because once people get a taste, they don't want to go back. Ooh, that was intense, honey. You know, just thinking of a, an average El Salvadorian in America, you're sending money home using Western Union, paying $20, $30 fees, and then the president of the country that you're sending money to, that you came to the States to earn money to send back home, says, well, you can send it home using Bitcoin now. And now those fees go from $20 to like 10 cents. You don't have to explain anything about the Bitcoin technology, I can do simple math. 10 cents is cheaper than $25. And that's the level, like you don't have to get the whole thing. People that are experiencing that right now in El Salvador, that's what they're experiencing. You and I don't experience that per se. We don't send money to El Salvador. Unless we go visit, which maybe we will. <laughs> well, we're definitely going. Yeah, it's on the list. It's officially on the list thanks to Bitcoin. I would have never considered going to El Salvador and now I cannot wait to go there. You know, it's starting to feel like a situation where someone's been pursuing me for a hot minute. I just wasn't interested. It's pretty dismissive about it. Then I see other people interested in them, catches my eye. And now I'm seeing that, yo, maybe they're a catch. <laughs> I just know I'm not the only one that feels this way. Can't wait for the next episode so I can keep learning what a world with Bitcoin could look like. But that's enough dating for now. I want to get online and I want to chat with my friends about this Bitcoin that I'm getting to know. So remember, get on our social, share our clips, jump in on the Bitcoin banter, and let's all keep flirting with Bitcoin. <music> Oh, 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 oh,